He doesn't normally wave to me, Adrian, only on a Sunday morning like that from the back. Is that right, mate? Jolly good. Excellent. <laughs> so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to actually start reading at verse 1 for today's uh, message. Last week, um, Steve uh, read from verse, uh, from verse 12, uh, rather introducing where we was going over the next few weeks in dealing with the body the body of Christ, and he said uh, uh, the body of Jesus, there are two bodies of Christ, there's his own physical body, and then there's his spiritual body, which is the explosion of himself amongst people, so that the life and the, G, the, life and the work of Jesus might be manifest in, in people, ordinary people, and that's the other body, and, and, and we're part of that greater body. Making up, as I look around the room this morning, you, you know, this is Jesus. And that's how it should be. Um, people, when people look at us as the church, they should see Jesus. It's the characteristics of the man, you know. And um, sometimes that doesn't happen. Uh, but for us this morning, it's the challenge to, uh, to be the body of Jesus. Um, so that's the emphasis of where we're going over the, over the next few weeks. Um, we actually deal now with uh, spiritual gifts in the body. Um, we're going to read um, from verse 1 to verse 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed or cursed or denigration of the work and person of Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, really from his heart, that is, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I think that's quite an important verse in what we're dealing with this morning. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In some Bibles, you, Paul starts off this, and it's obvious, obvious he's answering a question that has been put to him. I wonder what that question was that was actually put to Paul as these Corinthian believers um, 
in a bit of a mess, really. Maybe they said, well, how is it we know that God's Spirit is amongst us? Or, or how do we know we're, we're doing the right thing? Or um, how is it seen that the Holy Spirit is working amongst us? And what are the ways he's working? Um, they might have put questions like that. But we don't actually know the actual question that was put to him. He's answered other questions before. I think in chapter 7, he starts off the chapter by saying, now about this, and another chapter, now about that. And now he comes to this one, which is now about spiritual gifts. Now, the funny thing is that in the original Greek text, the word gifts is not there as he starts off answering this question. So, uh, so what is he doing then? What's Paul? It's very important for us to listen to this man, Paul, because the authority and the the work of starting off and building God's church, the answers. He had many answers, but he had the wisdom, he had the understanding, the background, and he had the commission from Jesus. The commission from Jesus to be a spokesperson for correctness, uniqueness, glory in the church, how the church operates. It was given to him. So they're asking the right man, and he, has, he gives a thorough answer to whatever the question was. A thorough answer. He deals with, he actually goes on, I mean, some people, it's amazing if you look at different commentators, how they actually break, build a framework of the letter, you know, how to understand it better, you know. Uh, and one person divides it up into two and says, from chapters one to chapters 11, it's about carnal things happening in the church, things that actually muck up a church and make it look horrible. You know, he talks about pride. He talks about disagreement. He talks about sexual stuff. He speaks about things that people don't... Disagreement where people don't get on. So, in other words, the people we really are, it's manifesting itself in the church and not helping it in any particular way. But when he comes to chapter 12, he changes to spiritual things. And so you could divide the letter up into two parts and say, well, that's the carnal stuff. He's now dealing with the spiritual stuff. And strangely enough, he does. He carries on under, um, talking about spiritual things from chapter 12 right to the end of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And so that's one framework that we're given. Uh, but just to break that down a little bit, uh, he spends three chapters on talking about the charismata, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that which is spiritual and supernatural, that which we don't have naturally, and that which comes by the means of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives working through us, which we can't do of ourselves. It's just dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. So he talks about the source, where this actually comes from, and it's the Holy Spirit. He talks about the diversity and unity of the gifts, he talks about the main ingredient of love, which is the fuel in the exercise of these gifts. When you have a car, it might do many things, but it needs fuel to make it go. It needs fuel. And Paul is saying here, you might have these gifts. There's only what, it depends on one thing to make it work and to make it be as it should be in the church, and that's love. I'm not going to take over someone else's sermon. <laughs> but it's like the fuel. It's no good. Your car won't work properly without the fuel in it. 
So he talks about the ingredient of love, how essential that is. When he comes to chapter 14, he's specifically talking about tongues and prophecies, and like you hear in Parliament, order, order, please. Order, order, please. So as Parliament gathers and they all talk up, it's necessary to have a sense of order, how things happen in the church. And so when he comes to tongues and prophecies, he sort of highlights these as the, this is probably the two things where you might get disorderly and they need to be, they need to be in order. So that's that. Paul is speaking about spiritual things. Now, we might look at ourselves as, as beacon, and um, I believe God has a message to us as beacon that we need to be spiritual in all the things that we do. We need to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And um, whilst Paul never used the word gifts in starting off, what was, what was the genre of where he was going? Well, it really means, in a literal translation, now about spiritualities. Now about spiritual things. Now about things concerning the Spirit. That's what he's writing about. But they might, we don't know the question, we don't know really what they asked about. And the essential thing that he brings to the fore here is without Jesus in his very place in the church, there's no progress spiritually. There's no progress spiritually. That's why he dives straight in, talking about when they were pagans, what they, what they knew in their pagan history, and how they changed what they were and what they've now become. So he says, now about the spiritual, now about the spiritual. Before I go on any further, I just want to talk about the church was in view in the Old Testament times, because it's good. Paul would have known this, and he said it's not just, it's not just started to happen, it's not just come about that people are living and moving spiritually in God's will and purpose. These things were actually talked about earlier in the experience of the Israelites in the experience of people. So in Numbers 11.29, we read about a Holy Spirit came upon a group of people. Um, there were two elders, Eldad and Medad, and uh, they were not in a specific group when the Holy Spirit came on them. They were somewhere else. Whilst in this group, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they prophesied, and yet these other two men weren't in the group at the time, so they were actually separated from it. And yet, the Holy Spirit gave them the spirit of prophecy as well, in two different locations. And there was a bit of conflict about this when they came back, and the group, the people in the group said, well, why are these guys prophesying, prophesying and have the Holy Spirit as well? You know? And Moses said, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. The important thing is that God wants all people to be indwelt and filled with his Holy Spirit. This is not controversial in that way. God wants all people to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Then there's that amazing verse which Peter reminded the listeners on the day of Pentecost, um, where it says in Joel 2, 28 and 29, in the last days, I'll read it to you, in the last days, 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And uh, that was written by a prophet earlier on, before the church came into being. So what I'm saying is the church was in view in God's eyes where there be a manifestation of his Holy Spirit amongst people. That was prophesied and it came about and Peter said, you know, that which Joel spoke about is actually come about today. That's what you're seeing, that's what you're hearing. And uh, specifically referring uh, to the to what was called the tongues on the day of Pentecost, where people heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. Some people say, um, you know, that it was a supernatural thing um, for what was said. Some people say it was supernatural for what was heard. But I don't think it really matters. The fact is that it was supernatural... And people heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. Fundamentally important. Saying the same thing as what happened with Moses and those two elders. So Jesus came, when he came, he brought the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and the way he demonstrated his life. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come on you. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came as Jesus had promised, so that for which Jesus gave his life was no more in view, but in place. That for which Jesus gave his life was not in view, but in place. The coming of the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, sorry, verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever say, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. The precise work of the Holy Spirit is to lead people to Jesus Christ. From then on, he will go on leading people in the fullness of himself. But it's important to know what Paul is saying here. Without Jesus, this spiritual stuff is not relevant. Spiritual gifts, however supernatural they are, without Jesus, it's not relevant. It's not important. It may be misused, because man is body, soul, and spirit. I just want to say something about the uniqueness of man, or mankind, the uniqueness of mankind. If we go back to the verses in creation, in Genesis, God said, let, let the earth bring forth, and he made the fish of the sea, he made the animals on the land, and he said, let them be. 
and he spoke the word and they came into being. When it comes to man, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And then later it tells us how he did that. He took the dust of the ground and he formed man out of the dust of ground and then he breathed into him the breath of life. Now you don't read that about any part of God's creation anywhere than that of man. So that makes him unique. What is it that makes him unique? It's the spirit that God has placed within us. So we're not just body and flesh, we are spirit as well. When it talks about soul, it's talking about a harmony, a unique harmony between the body and the spirit. You get disharmony because when you, when you have anxiety, sometimes your body feels it, or you have a headache or something like that. There's actually a dysfunction between the body and the spirit. But man was made to work so that his body and his spirit might be in harmony. So that you're like working hard. We know that doesn't happen. We get troubled. We get upset. And when we do that, all sorts of things can happen. Uh, I think someone said once, one medical person said once, that uh, a lot of the result of cancer is the result of stress. And that can be so. So things that affect us bodily can be often spiritual in their cause and in their origin. When we come to know Jesus Christ as Saviour, God makes the reality of the harmony of the body and the spirit come back together. So that the, soul, the soul is made what God wants. In reality, the fullness of that will only be known when Jesus returns and we're back with him. Then that which is perfect will be here. So that the body and the spirit will then work in perfect harmony. Our resurrected bodies will be rejoined with our spirit. Now something else you read in Ecclesiastes, that when we die, our bodies return to the dust, and our spirit returns to God who gave it in the first place. Now that's, you don't read that about animals. Why? Because man is unique. And I think it's important to remember in the context of what we're talking this morning, that man, in his redemptive work, as Jesus works in us, he's, to he's about restoring what should be ours rightfully. Jesus worked supernaturally because he was a perfect man. He didn't need a, uh, a soul to be redeemed. He didn't need a body to be saved. He, he, gave his, he gave his body. But it's really remembering that spiritual thing is unique to man. You will never find a gorilla praying for a monkey. You'll never find a dog praying for a cat. Why? Because they're not spiritual. You never find one sending a birthday card to another because they don't understand that. There's no concept there of spirituality. Man is unique. Jesus was unique. So essentially at the heart of it, we're spiritual as well as bodily. So you have the two here, the first few chapters and then the next few chapters. So Paul's talking about them when you were pagans, you were led, you were led astray. 
you were led astray. Satan is in the work of leading people astray from God today. What does that word led astray mean? Led, led astray from the author of life, led away connect, convicted, led away to a just sentence, led away to punishment, led away to imprisonment. You, you were just led away. You, you were in the wrong place. You were led astray. What were they led astray to? They were led astray to mute idols. What were mute idols? They were voiceless. They, without the faculty of speech, they were significantly dumb. And people followed them looking for answers that they couldn't find. It's important to remember when we come to know Jesus Christ as Saviour, we'll begin to find answers we can't find anywhere else. When we come to know Jesus, we come to a God who speaks. A God who speaks. So these early Corinthians in their pagan history were led away, led away to worthless things, and yet coming to know Jesus, they would be brought to the source of life. They would be brought to someone who speaks. There's a strange little verse um, in Isaiah, which was um, read by the eunuch on the road as he, as he travelled south. Um, it's, he was reading about Jesus and he, he, was, he said he was led away to be slaughtered and as a lamb, dumb or silent, before his shearers, so he was afflicted. So he was afflicted. And so I just want to take this point just to say where people are today, they're suffering in their lostness. In our lostness, Jesus suffered as one who was led away from God. He suffered as one who was separated from God. He was, he was led away that what he said had no, no reasoning with God. He stood in our place. He stood in our place. He stood in your place. He stood in my place, treated as one who was nothing in this world. And it's so good for us today to celebrate Jesus Christ is Lord. So Paul says here, when you were pagans, you were led away to mute idols, however you was led, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And yet, he was made a curse for us. The Bible tells us Jesus was made a curse for us. That is part of his suffering, that he might win us back to himself. He was made a curse for us. Now what Paul is saying in here is if you hear someone saying Jesus is accursed, they're not speaking by the Spirit of God. That's pretty, I think that's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's pretty obvious. But 
The common Jews, I don't mean that like it sounds, the Jews of that day would curse Jesus like they did when he was being tried. Away with this man. We will not have him to reign over us. Get him out of the way. Reject him. We don't want him. That was a curse. That was a curse. No one speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is a curse. So if anybody comes in here and starts cursing Jesus, you know he's not speaking with the Spirit of God. He's going to talk about speaking later on and say how this is genuine, how it's necessary, how important it is in the church. But no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Now, I just want to take this point to remind us of things that are going on in our society which are saying Jesus is accursed. There's this thought that Jesus married Mary, or I don't know, what he, they had a child together. Well, that is a curse on Jesus. We've read from creation story today and that man came as a result of evolution. That's a curse because all these things denigrate Jesus. To say that Jesus came about a result of sexual union between Joseph or Mary or any other man is saying Jesus is accursed. It's saying Jesus is cursed. So we're living in a society where Jesus is being cursed for who he is, really is, and we need to remember that. And what Paul is saying here is, church, you need to be careful on honouring Jesus and make sure you exalt him to the highest place that he holds. Paul said about Jesus, he shall have the preeminence in all things that Jesus might have the preeminence. There's no other way to spiritual gifts other than honouring and exalting Jesus as saviour as a primary part of church. That's what he's given us to do, to exalt the name of Jesus and to lift him high. The exception is of churches that do not manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we could say, what's, 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 the, what's the answer to that? Why, why is that not happening? And several times just recently, we, we have been advised, don't let go of the glory of Jesus. Because really, there's no way forward in spiritual gifts if you do. You have to hold him in highest honour. It was the Holy Spirit's purpose to exalt Jesus and to bring all truth to remembrance regarding him. So that's why Paul begins here. It's a valid point. He doesn't launch straight into spiritual gifts. It's now concerning spiritual. The most important spiritual thing is that you're born again of the Spirit. Did you know that there's a gift here which is not mentioned as such, but is just as much a supernatural gift? It's the gift of faith. The gift of faith is supernatural. So you say to people, oh, yeah, I believe in God. And people do believe in God. And people believe in Jesus, just as a historical fact. But that which changes your mind and changes your heart and changes your life is the outworking of God's Spirit within you. 
Faith is spiritual, it is supernatural. It's not just any old belief. And it has to be found in the right place. And it's found in Jesus. That's so important. That's why Paul brings it in. Now concerning spiritual. So, I just, my heading was Jesus there, you know. We mustn't forget who he is and what he has done. We mustn't forget who we are, the uniqueness of man, our spirit, our soul, in body. And that faith and trust in Jesus, this salvation, is key for the ensuing life with God, however expressed. Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, said, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And so what did Jesus do? He went on to tell him the verse which we all know, God so loved the world. He didn't, say, didn't start talking about the spirit. He starts talking about Jesus' death and that God sent him and that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the truly spiritual part where we start. When the Holy Spirit came on Mary and Jesus was conceived within Mary, we read that the Holy Spirit came upon her when we read the, first, the second verse in Genesis, we read that the Spirit of God moved over the face of waters where there's spirit and darkness. So our first introduction to Jesus is when the Holy Spirit reminds us how dark our lives are and how empty they are without him. And our greatest need is for him, is for Jesus. My next part, point my last part is this. That verse which we... To each, in verse 7, to each, each in the church, to each one who is truly making Jesus Lord in their life, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. So this is the question. Visible or invisible? The Holy Spirit is invisible. You can't see him. And so there is this metaphor of, of the Spirit, and it's wind. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, and he said, the wind blows where it wants to. You cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Who's born of the Spirit. You know? Visible or Invisible. Is the Holy Spirit visible in our church? Is the Holy Spirit visible in every church? Is the one who you can't see visible in our church? Visible or invisible? And Paul answers this question straight away. Now the manifestation of the Spirit is fact. Boom. The manifestation of the Spirit is so Paul would say, this is how you know. This is what to expect. If not, why not? This is how you know. This is what to expect. This is where the Holy Spirit becomes visible in the church. It is by those gifts which were given by him to each in the church. Let's just run over them. Verse 8. For, one, for to one is given through the Spirit, 
the utterance of wisdom. The Bible tells us that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. I think there's a big void of wisdom in our world, even more so sometimes in our churches. Sometimes the way we speak, and I think Facebook and Twitter is an opportunity for showing the lack of wisdom and understanding in us. I'd be very careful what we put on those pages. Be very, very careful. It shows sometimes a lack of wisdom and understanding and immaturity. So be very careful. But through the Spirit, God wants us to give us wisdom. Wisdom about issues that someone might be facing. Wisdom about how we deal with our finances. Wisdom about how we lead our lives. These all need the aspect of godly wisdom in them. How we run our families. They need an aspect of godly wisdom in our lives. How we treat our parents needs godly wisdom in our lives. These things are spiritual and they come by the Spirit. So if we know, if we're pursuing, following Jesus Christ and learning how to love Him and to serve Him, the Spirit of wisdom will come through the Spirit of God and help us. But if that's not our mark, if we're not pursuing the glory and the person of Jesus, these things might be difficult and hard going. But the spirit of wisdom is a spiritual thing. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Young Billy down at Chiddinglai was, was saved. He became a Christian. He gave his life to Jesus. And when Peter had spoken knowledge into his life, he said, it seems as if he knows me better than I know myself. And someone said to him, well, that's God speaking to you. It was knowledge, it's understanding. This is spiritual. This is the way God works in his church. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. That, and that means extraordinary faith. Someone who gives a lot of money when he hasn't got it shows extraordinary faith. Someone who sells all their property like they did in the Acts and hasn't got, really got any wealth, other wealth is showing an act of faith. Someone who's doing something extraordinary without any support, without any resources behind them, are demonstrating acts of faith. Missionaries have gone out, sold all their possessions, left all their life behind them to go to other lands to preach the gospel. These are acts of extraordinary faith. Someone who simply believes Jesus and the promises he's made over their life is extraordinary faith. It's extraordinary faith because you wouldn't find people who don't know Jesus Christ doing it. That's why it's so special. That's why it's of the Spirit of God. You know, the Spirit energises our spirit. The Spirit searches the deep things of God. The Spirit's at work, and he bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. That's why the spiritual, when Paul talks about, now about the spiritual, guys, you know these things are important. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. 
And the people who say, well, the church is not the place for the supernatural, well, it is. <laughs> it is, isn't it? You know, this is the place where God wants to work to demonstrate his goodness, to demonstrate his love, to demonstrate all that he is. And he does this through the church. Working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit. How can we best describe these spiritual gifts? They're less related to natural abilities They are given to be given. Spiritual gifts are given to be given. When Paul went to the church at Rome, in chapter 1, verses 11 12, he says, I, he says, I just can't wait to get to you, to impart to you some spiritual gift. It wasn't that he was to give them the gifts, but he was to let them have the benefit of the gifts at work in his life to strengthen them, to help them. He just longed to go there to impart to them some spiritual gift. They're given to be given. Here's another point. They were never intended to authenticate roles in the church. They were never given so to say, I'm a healer. I'm a miracle worker. I'm this and I'm that and I'm the other. No, they're given for the common good that the church might be built and blessed up. So they don't authenticate roles in the church. Contrary to what some people say about Paul, he never authenticated his apostleship by using signs, wonders and miracles. People will say, well, we don't have the gifts for today because they were only meant for those early apostles. And yet Paul never authenticated his apostleship by using the evidence of signs, wonders and miracles. What he did use was his own testimony. He said, there I was going on this road and all of a sudden a bright light shone around me. And Jesus spoke to me and said, Paul, I've got something for you to do. And he came away from that situation blind and he was led away. And then he was led to someone who laid hands on him, who healed him. And then at a later stage, in defending his apostleship, he said, I don't know what happened, he said. I don't know whether I was in my body or out of it. I don't know whether I was in this heaven, that heaven, or the third heaven. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus spoke to me. That's how he defended his apostleship. And one more reason where he defended his apostleship was by the evidence of the fruit in people's lives. He'd sown the seed... And he'd see the change in people's lives. He said, that's why I'm an apostle. Because what I'm teaching them, what I'm saying works. And you see the church being built up. It works. And so he defended his apostleship that way. So here we are. And Paul's saying to us, now the manifestation of the Spirit is this gift and that gift and the other. Let's see to it that we pray for the manifestation. Let him become visible. Let the invisible spirit become visible in our church as we move forward.
The gifts are for today. The gifts are for all time. As Paul reminded them when he started off this letter, he said, I'm writing to you, he said, you lack no spiritual gift that work within you as a church, which you're working at until the day Jesus returns. Until the day Jesus returns. That's when the gifts will stop, because the perfect will have come. Father, we thank you. Come Holy Spirit. Father, we just so want to see this Holy Spirit at work amongst us. We want to see lives blessed. We want to see the glory of Jesus manifest in this place. Father, we just need the help of the Holy Spirit to worship Jesus, to give him the place in this assembly, this group of people, to honour him and to worship him. Jesus, you are so worthy, worthy of honour, worthy of praise, Worthy by all to be adored. Jesus, be exalted. Help us to do that. Thank you, Father.